Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Women Emerging podcast. I'm Julie Middleton, Director of Women Emerging. Every week I speak with women around the world of different ages and in different sectors about how they lead, because we need many more women leading in the world today. We explore how women lead differently and do it their way, which is authentic, fulfilling and highly effective. Tomboy or girly girl, which one makes for good leading? Hi, I'm Julia Middleton, Director of Women Emerging and your podcast host. This is the second episode with Priyanka in Botswana about the conversation she's having with her nine-year-old daughter about leading. Most of the conversations are happening in cars. Last week we talked about Barbie and frivolous careers and role models. This week Priyanka goes further into those conversations, as I say, usually in cars. If you've been celebrating a religious festival or marking the end of a long year, I send you my love. For me, Christmas has been utterly magical and deeply family. I'm so unbelievably lucky to have all my five children and their families here. And they're all well and happy and loving each other. My joy has always been how deeply my five children love each other. And this Christmas, I've had a sort of glimpse into how that love is going to carry on through the ne- to the next generation as the cousins love each other next. Uh, next weekend is New Year. It'll be a moment for me to look back on 2023 um, when so much has come to life the result of the glorious expedition with the amazing 24 women that I went on. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment in March. When the expedition was over, but I suddenly saw that our role was to persuade women across the world to go on their own expeditions. Sure, using our book if that's leading I'm in, as their guide and their map, but their expeditions. It was in that moment that I think women emerging went from important, but probably ordinary, to vital, 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 and quite extraordinary. What a year it's been. So Priyanka, let's get really, really practical on this episode. How how do you how do you counter what comes back into your house? That sounds silly, but it's what I felt. I felt that sometimes I was sending a perfect daughter out into that world. And an imperfect daughter came back. Now, I don't mean perfect and imperfect, but yeah, well, she was, She all of them, and I've got three daughters, um, I accept they're all now in their 30s, but they were coming back and repeating things to me that made me want to tear my hair out. It has to be said my sons were doing the same thing, but 
were concentrating on my daughters. They were bringing things back into the house. And, and I, I felt almost sort of invaded by, the, by what they were bringing back. T tell me about how do you cope with the sort of tomboy versus girly girl stuff? I, I think I love that you've asked that because that is a real challenge for Arnavi, right? It's the, it's a challenge she is experiencing as she forms her identity and her likes and her dislikes at this age. And and I think this this is a really strong age where she is she is doing that. She is figuring out what her fashion style is. She is figuring out who her friends are. She this is the age where it's getting interesting between friends that are boys versus boy friends. And, you know, it, it, those are the kinds of challenges she's experiencing on a day-to-day. -day. And this aspect of, am I a girly girl and am I a tomboyish? And do they have to be one or the other? Is is something that she is actually herself facing at the moment. And, you know, she will, she will ask that to me um, because she thinks she sometimes is being, in, in particular about her dress sense, she sometimes thinks she's being... Um, what is the word, uh, flaky in, in her choices. So there will be days where she wants to be uh, as glamorous as possible, especially for Indian cultural functions, for example. She wants to be in the beautiful Indian outfits and the big skirts that can twirl. Um, but then if, you, if you're just going over to a friend's house, she'll be in the oversized sports shirt and shorts. And, you know, she'll, she'll sometimes become very conscious of that and say, oh, should I wear a crop top instead? And, you know, and it it's sometimes that, again, provoking that conversation about why, why do you think that? Why do you think you should wear a crop top instead? And that's the kind of what's coming through the door um, is what all the other girls are wearing, what uh, on TV all the girls are wearing, what her cousins are wearing. You know, it's it's all around her. Um, but she kind of, you know, what she said to me is, I kind of feel like I need to be one or the other mom. I need to be very girly or I need to be a tomboy, but sometimes I'm a bit of both and I don't know what to do. And, um, so we started talking about a, what does a tomboy mean to her? And where does that phrase come from? And, um, and then actually where do these images of what a girly girl comes from? And it, you know, goes back to the Barbie movie as it always does. And, what media and society has perpetrated as what is an appropriate way of dressing and what is a what is considered beautiful, what is considered fashionable, what is considered acceptable. Um, and, you know, and, and so actually what we've ended up talking about is how do you still be really proud to embrace what is girly about you and actually how and you know and then her question back to me is am I not am I not a feminist then and um so how does embracing girliness not not make you not a feminist so why, why can you how can you or a leader or a leader yeah um how can being like wear how can you wear a full fully pink suit and still be a leader or be a girl boss um and and what does that mean um but also if you support a football team or a cricket team, which was for her, it's cricket. If it's a cricket team that she really supports, 
How is it that she can be proud of the fact that she wants to wear her cricket shirt with shorts when she's going out? And why is it acceptable for my son to dress like that when we're going out to a party and it's not acceptable for her to dress like that? When, and, and who's dictating that, right? Like that, that acceptance is not coming from me um, or her father. So it's not about our household. That acceptance is what's coming from outside or what she feels is going to be from outside. So one of the things that we've started talking about is her, she writes a, a journal, is to write down um, all the stereotypes that she can think of for boys and all the stereotypes that she can think of for girls, and then start to say which ones she absolutely wants to defy um, and why. Right. Like not not defy just because you think it's wrong, but defy because it doesn't feel right for her. It's not authentic to her. Um, but it was interesting how you said about perfect. Um, you know, Anavi, I think, has got this this idea of so. So what, what is perfect? And we have a we have a saying at home of perfect is boring. Um, and so, again, whatever whatever image of perfection of a perfect girl or a perfect boy or a perfect grade at school or a you know perfect behavior whatever that perfect is a who created that let's question that first where does that come from and that's the first step that we always take is where does that where does that come from um and do you believe in it and then you know let's let's talk about what that really means for you and for us as a family I am laughing my head off, you know. I remember going once. I was miserable, so a friend invited me to go on a weekend holiday. And I have white skin, and uh, it was very sunny, and I forgot to take any cream. And I was literally sort of bright orange by the oh time I got back. <laughs> bright pink, probably. And I remember on that Monday morning going to work and thinking, so what do I do about this? So I decided to wear a pink suit to go yeah. with my pink face. Your pink face. <laughs> and I walked in and the first person I met was my future husband. <laughs> <laughs> he has endless memories of me in my pink face and pink suit and pink everything. The Before I was saying... I was sort of putting away brothers, but that's interesting too, isn't it? What, and I suppose with you, your son is only six, so it hasn't happened yet, but I predict that it's not just your daughter who'll be bringing things back, but your son bringing things back from the outside world. And, and it has to be said, all three of my daughters, they take personal pride for the fact that their two brothers have 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 married or um, nearly married, I would think, um, incredibly powerfully interesting women. All three of my daughters claim that's their achievement. I, I really do think it's about the family. That's, I want her to realize that that's where her identity start is forming. Her identity is forming at home with us. And she is, you know, intertwined with us and her identity is not being formed by the outside world. And of course, it is to a certain extent. We all have been. But for her to have that confidence and clarity that th this is where I form who I am and my beliefs and my value systems is with my mom, my dad and my brother first. Right. And then and then everyone else and then everything else. But 
this is where this is where I come from and this is these are my roots and this is what keeps me me and um and with my son yes he's only six but I'll say as a hugely uh strong early childhood education advocate that 90% of our brain develops by the time we're five right so if we're not having some of these important conversations in the first five years even of a child's life we we're going to struggle for the rest of their their lives to change their minds about fixed ideas and they do become very fixed um, and they're having to rather than learn we're having to unlearn and then reteach which is even harder um so with my son i think one of the first things that came about was pink is for girls and blue is for boys right that's a very early childhood concept and um, but it's about how you defy even that stereotype. And um, why was it okay? Because his sister is his role model. And I think almost all younger siblings have their older sibling as their role model. So if his sister was his role model, why was it at two and three and four, it was absolutely okay for him to be twirling in tutus and putting on nail polish. I mean, this just this morning, I got a phone call from him saying, mom, I feel like taking my nail polish off. Um, where's your nail polish remover? And just the acceptance that that's okay in our household, right? It's it's in our family, this is fine. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says or does outside at this stage. And so the, the boy-girl dynamic, I love the boy-girl dynamic because it, it really does prompt a lot of interesting conversation. And it does bring those outside ideas ho home, not just from Anavi, but from Yuban. And how we're navigating conversations about that together what I love most, obviously, is when Anavi navigates that conversation with him. And, you know, with this pink is for girls and blue is for boys, she answered that question, not me, and said, but Yvonne, my favorite color is teal, which is a type of blue. You know, and she said it in this very matter of fact, like, what a crazy question you've come home with today. Don't you know your sister better than this? And, um, and it, you know, it shut him up in his very three-year-old way. And he had nothing else to say about it because he was like, oh, you're right. And that was never a question again, but it was answered by his sister. And this all prepares your daughter as a future leader um, to have the conversations with men. Absolutely. So all the way through, you've been describing safe, sacred time, sometimes in a car, sometimes not, um, regular, where you don't brush things off, you, you get in there and have proper conversations, um, sometimes ad hoc, sometimes spontaneous, um, sometimes regular. And, and you make sure you don't exclude the rest of the family. I think last week you used the expression, it's really important, though, that these conversations are led by her, not you. Just unpack that one a little bit more. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say two things. One is I do think this time is sacred. Um, and I, it's important for her to know that, not just for me to know that. And the way that I do that, and I don't want to make it seem that whenever she comes with these big life questions, I drop everything I'm doing and give her that time and space. I, I definitely not. Um, when it's in the car, like I said, sometimes you can't hide away from it. And it's a beautiful time to be able to talk it out together. 
when she asked me the question, for example, are there still hidden aspects of patriarchy in your life, mom? I couldn't answer that there and then. I found that a very difficult question for me. So my response to her was, do you know what, Anavi? I really want to think about that. And I want to get back to you when I have a proper answer for you. So even that was giving it the sacred, the, the, the sacredity, if that's a word, or the sacredness, to say that your question is powerful and meaningful, and it deserves the time and space with a thoughtful response, not a brushed off response that I'm going to say just to get you off my back. Um, and so that that in itself gives her that that kind of moment to say, I, I led that, I, I am in charge of this. And my mom believes it's important. So my mom believes my opinions, my questions, my curiosities are important. Um, and so that, that's, that's just the, the first thing I want to say is about the sacred spaces. It's not, it's not just, it's not ma magically always there. Um, you do have to work at it and find deliberate moments for it and, and sometimes tell her that. Um, but the the other aspect about her leading it um, is that some of these conversations are really hard. Um, and I think if you were to think about uh, uh, by the book when you should have these conversations with your child, I don't know if automatically the age of eight or nine would come into your mind. Um, but... I do think that your child will drive what is important to them for what they're exposed to, for what they're experiencing, for what they're um, trying to figure out for themselves. Um, and so, you know, in, in the early childhood uh, years, that comes out usually through play and role play. And you'll often see it with younger kids under five, who are taking teddy bears or cars and you'll see them role-playing scenarios that they're trying to make sense of in the world. And you usually allow them that time and space because it's abstracted and it's their play. I think in the ages of eight to 13, 14, we often ignore that when children come up with difficult questions because they don't play as much and they're not, you know, it's not the same kind of play. That That's sometimes a really neglected age and phase and then teenage years we suddenly were like we have to have all these conversations with our kids because we haven't had them yet and they're going to go face this in the real world and now we're trying to build them up as leaders and try and build that confidence and clarity and ambition before they go off to university and have to be on their own and I, and I think that's sometimes a lot of pressure on parents in for ad, of adolescence but also on the adolescents themselves who are going through Puberty has its own whole thing, um, plus all of these difficult conversations. So why I think it's important for her to lead them is because they're relevant to her now. Um, and they're going to be the basis of the identity she's forming for herself and the friendships that she's forming, the choices that she's making uh, at school and outside of school, the, the way she interacts with family members, extended family members, uh, you know, all of that is actually being formed at this age. And if we're not, if I'm not giving priority to what she feels is important and she wants to drive, 
I, I would really be doing her a disservice. And I think I would be trying really hard to play catch up when she's a teenager to have these conversations then. And they would be very different conversations. Um, there'd be more instructions as opposed to facilitated. So what do you think? What, what about you? What about in our family? You know, I think as a teenager, when you have these conversations, you're telling your child what is acceptable and what is not, what to do and what not to do, whereas you're not really doing that in eight and nine. Um, and so you've got a much more open space to a, a much more safe and open space to fit for the child herself to figure out what is right or wrong for me and why. And then you can guide it, you know, um, and it's not instructive in the same way that it is as a teenager, I think. I think it's perhaps important to say that sometimes it's conversations and at other times it's sort of experiences, isn't it? 100%. There are some experiences that give that have this a much deeper impact or the same learnings or outcomes that a, an hour long conversation would have, but you've had it in a in a moment. What what are the you know examples about experiences that I really think about is my daughter and horse riding. So I went for a joint horse riding lesson with her a few months ago. And what was incredible to see was the difference in the way that she handled herself on the horse from a year ago to how she is now. And for a horse that used to, she, she used to find really difficult to ride because he has a very strong mind of his own and he believes he's a very well-trained, experienced horse from shows and jumping. So he believes he knows the ring better than a rider knows him. Um, and for the first time, both her teacher and I had this moment of awe where we just had to stop riding ourselves to watch her because she led this horse. And every time he tried to pull in a different direction, she was able to lead. Every time he wanted to, you know, go towards the exit because he wanted his food, she was able to tell him using her words and her body language, this is not what we're doing right now. We're still in the ring. And that was this beautiful moment of leadership that she displayed in a very confident calm way without struggling there was no fight there was no pulling off the reins there was no loss of control there was just clarity calmness confidence and and it wasn't about a conversation we didn't even have to talk about it we just watched and when we got off we just smiled and she said, yes, I know. I, I did that really well. And it was this calm, clear confidence that she had as well, that she knew in that moment, sh she was a leader. You once talked to me about a conversation you'd had when Arabe, I think, had, had, had received a, a, a badge or a medal or something like that in her class. Um, and about, because I think this is a really interesting piece of leading, isn't it? Is that when you are celebrated, how do you not brush that off, but receive it with gratitude and the respect it deserves? Um, because so many of us as leaders are not very good at doing that. But how do you also accept it while not while making sure that your behavior in receiving it 
does not ostracize everybody else in the class. There were different there were different aspects to it. There were moments where she is embarrassed for the praise that she gets. Um, there are moments where she feels she didn't deserve it. Um, and then there's the complete opposite. There are moments where she steps into it and she's like, yes, I did that, you know? Um, and it's, it, I think one of the things that we've talked about is one, when you are embarrassed about it, why is that? Um, and sometimes it's just, she doesn't want to be singled out. Um, and it's easier to, to fit in and, and be the same as everybody else. Um, and the other times it's because she's often felt it's not only because of her, like it's a, a team effort, but only she's getting the recognition um, or the credit for it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it might also be, uh, it might also be sort of early days imposter syndrome that, yeah. that a lot of women leaders feel. Feel. Um, and, I, and I really think sometimes that is it without her being able to articulate that. And so, but these are, these are the two situations she's able to articulate. And we've talked about both. And the, the one about when it's involving other people is, so what can you do about it, Anabi? And, you know, and that's, that's the leadership trait that we're trying to get her to understand is bring them up with you. When you get acknowledged for that, you know, don't be embarrassed and kind of hide away from it step into it and say, yes, thank you, but I didn't do that alone. And these are my two friends who also helped me do my presentation about Egypt. Um, and, you know, she, this this friend did this part, this friend did this part, and I did this part. And sure, maybe I was the group leader, um, but I wouldn't, you know, I only did this section. And so be just be open about that. And, you know, it it was about giving her the words to do it and i think that was that that was the important part is she's nine so she doesn't know how to do that unless you guide her how to do that unless you tell her how to do that and you need to tell her once and then in the future probably she'll just do it automatically but if you don't do it again at the age of nine then by the time she's 13 or 14 she is either going to completely hide away from it or never acknowledge those and just take that credit for herself which is not being a leader right um either way and so that was the the one of that and then the other about you know being like possible imposter syndrome or just not wanting to be singled out not wanting to be acknowledged and just being very happy to say just, just don't don't talk about it like nobody needs to know um that one is is really we try to really dig into why um and it is different depending on what it's for so when it's for something that she values she's very excited to be uh, acknowledged for it but if she doesn't value it so for example you know if it's if it's something about like cleaning cleaning up and picking up all the trash at school she just sees that as normal behavior so she doesn't see it as something extraordinary so she doesn't want it to be mentioned she sees that as that's what I should just be doing nobody should be 
telling me how amazing it is that I pick up trash, you know? Um, and so, you know, then it's about explaining why, unfortunately, though she's right, that should be normal behavior. And we shouldn't need to single people out because they throw their chips packets in the bin. Um, unfortunately, it's not normal behavior. And so to make it normal, we actually have to acknowledge those that do it really well so that more people start to do it and it becomes the norm. Um, and so we've really started talking about that being how she can set a trend to make it then the norm. Yeah, It's raw, beautiful, amazing <laughs> leading. Yeah. Uh, and it's a girl. And I love that. And to top it off, of course, there have been these three episodes with Priyanka. You've heard two of them. The third one is next week. It's made me think of the conversations I had when I was nine. For me, they were with my father and they are deep, deep, deep inside me still. Um, Priyanka's also reminded me of the conversation I had with my daughters and my sons whom I now watch flying, flying in their leading. And it's made me really focus on the conversations that I need to have, I must have, with my own grandchildren in the coming years. So the third episode in this series is next week. It'll be a glorious way to start 2024. But in the meantime, Happy New Year. Love, Julia. There's also loads more you can learn from other women if you go to our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org. Over time, we are determined to redefine leading so that more of us can say, if that's leading, I'm in. Really